Welcome to the Kyiv Post podcast, where you can tune into stories that give you a deeper understanding of Ukraine. I'm your host, Alina Kent. I'm a multimedia producer and lifestyle journalist here at the Kyiv Post. Last week's episode, called Putin a Killer, Let Us Count the Ways, covered acts of violence and aggression that Putin and the Kremlin were behind since the start of Putin's rise to power. This week, we continue to look at Russia's aggression, specifically the recent buildup of Russian forces on the eastern Ukrainian border, with more troops than ever since the start of the conflict in 2014. Now, this new act of aggression has not gone unnoticed. Ukraine and the West have pushed back. We've seen signals of support with President Joe Biden and President Volodymyr Zelensky's phone call, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken speaking with Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba in Brussels this past week, Biden speaking to Putin, calling him to de-escalate tensions and proposing to meet with him in a third country to discuss the confrontation and other U.S.-Russia issues, and the most recent sanctions against Russia that the White House announced on April 15th. To discuss the situation, I sat down with former ambassador to Ukraine Bill Taylor and former assistant secretary for European Affairs and Sanctions Coordinator Daniel Fried about Russian aggression and the steps the West could and should take. Welcome, Ambassador Taylor. My pleasure. Many people are paying attention to the buildup of Russian troops in the East, and the fact that it's the highest amount since the conflict. Obviously, it's garnered international attention. People are worried that there will be another Russian invasion. How would you assess this situation? So, my assessment changed yesterday with the announcement of the sanctions and with the explanation, the phone call between President Biden and President Putin. I, I, like you, Alina, I was, and like many people, very, were very concerned about this big buildup on the border, not just on the border, I mean, also in Crimea and also in Belarus. And so from, from three different angles, three different uh, directions, Ukraine was threatened by Russian forces. And I think, as you say, it drew a lot of attention and there was a lot of diplomatic activity, as well as some military activity, as well as some you know, financial activity in terms of sanctions. So, so there's a lot of attempts, a lot of measures taken to deter the Russians, from, from doing what we were all concerned they might do, that is, invade Ukraine again. And this, this international effort, led, frankly, by the United States, I'm very pleased that the Biden administration has been so active, with phone calls, of course, from President Biden to President Zelensky and Secretary of State Lincoln to Foreign Minister and the Secretary of Defense to the Defense Minister, the National Security Advisor to his colleague, the Chairman of Georgia, all of these, all of these contacts were great. And then NATO as well. I mean, uh, Stoltenberg and the discussion there in Brussels, as you, as you just mentioned, all of that capped by, I think, a very smart move by President Biden to call Putin. And we now know that that call had three purposes. One was to warn Mr. Putin not to invade, not to threaten Ukraine, and to stand down this, this big buildup. The second purpose, as we now know, as of yesterday, was for Mr. Biden to tell Mr. Putin, sanctions are coming. And so Mr. Putin was not surprised yesterday when, when the Treasury and the Secretary of State and the US government more generally rolled out these sanctions, because he heard it from, from President Biden two days before. But the, the third thing that that phone call did was to check, maybe not checkmate, but certainly to check the Russian ability or willingness, political ability to invade Ukraine. While there was a lot of concern and that concern prompted a lot of action to deter, those actions did deter. And I think the capstone of that deterrence 
was the phone call that Mr. Biden put into Mr. Putin and said, don't do this. And that the offer of the summit means that Mr. Putin can't invade Ukraine at least for several months while he gets ready for this summit. He knows that if he were to invade Ukraine, as he was threatening to do, uh, summit's off. The summit, as in a potential meeting between President Biden and President Putin. Summit's off. And Putin clearly wants that summit. So all to say, I think that the international response has led to successful deterrence, at least so far. I mean, as, as I say, it's check. It's not checkmate. It's checked for now. And I think that was a, 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 good, a good effort. I'm very glad to see these signals, whether it's signals of support or Biden and Zelensky's call two weeks ago, or Blinken meeting Kuleba in Brussels and Biden's phone call with Putin. When there are talks between U.S. officials and Ukrainian officials, yes, there are talks about eastern Ukraine, but there are also talks about reform on corruption. What does Ukraine need at this point? So Ukraine needs to continue its strong position. I mean, one of the, one of the uh, undoubted purposes of the Russian buildup was to threaten Ukraine, and particularly, specifically to threaten Mr. Zelensky, to try to push him back, to try to intimidate him, because he's been taking some steps along the lines that you just described. I mean, he's taking some pretty strong steps, uh, sanctioning uh, corrupt oligarchs, uh, shutting down Russian-oriented TV stations on anti-terrorist grounds and anti-terrorist financing grounds, and, you know, but taking strong steps. And those are the kind of steps, I think, in answer to your question, that, that Mr. Zelensky needs to take, the President Zelensky needs to take, that the, that the Ukrainian government needs to stay strong, don't be rattled by these attempts on the Russian part to uh, intimidate. And, uh, you know, it, Mr. Zelensky has stood up to it, and, and good for him. You mentioned reform, and of course that's important, and that, can, that will certainly help boost the international support, the continued international support uh, for Ukraine that, that Mr. Zelensky enjoys right now. And like I say, he's, I think he's taken some good steps. There's obviously a lot more to do. Cracking down on corrupt oligarchs is really important. We see how corrupt oligarchs can even corrupt and, and have influence over the constitutional court of Ukraine uh, and, and other courts, and other courts up and down the judicial system. So that's a big problem. And Ukrainian government needs to go after that. But the immediate threat from Russia, as I say, I think has been checked by a combination of strength by the administration in Kiev, but also the international community. Thank you, Ambassador. Absolutely. Glad to see you. The White House released its new set of sanctions against Russia due to its past actions and recent aggression in eastern Ukraine on April 15th. Former Assistant Secretary for European Affairs and Sanctions Coordinator Daniel Fried wrote an article in the Atlantic Council titled what if Russia invades Ukraine again? Consider these options for sanctions escalation, just a few days before. Now he is here to speak to the Kiev Post about what these sanctions mean and if they are enough. Thank you for joining us. Sure. In 2014, there were sanctions placed against Russia, which he worked on as the sanctions coordinator during the Obama administration. How are these sanctions different from the previously imposed ones? Basically, this morning's announcement was a solid piece of work and it continues the efforts we had made during the Obama administration that the Trump administration sort of fumbled, not because all of the people were bad, but because the president wasn't bought into his own administration's policy. Happily, we don't have to deal with huh, Trump much further. This was a solid set of sanctions. The centerpiece was the new executive order, which was quite interesting because in it, the president, and it's his executive order, says 
look, there are different strands of Russian malign behavior, election interference, cyber hacking, bounties on US troops, just aggression against America's friends generally. And this is a problem for us and we are going to push back against it. And that executive order had a whole bunch of sanctions potential, including by the way, uh, sanctions, the authorization for sanctions against the Russians if they use energy as a weapon. That ought to be, in the context of Nord Stream 2, that's of interest to Ukraine and ought to be of interest to Poland. It means that, for example, if the Russians decide to cut off gas transit through Ukraine, we can hit them. And that's not there by accident. I looked at that and I smiled because of course the Ukrainians are right and the Poles are right about Nord Stream 2. It's a bad idea. But also in the sanctions package, you notice that there were sanctions announced against Russian persons and companies because of their involvement in occupied Crimea. And those sanctions were joined, the Americans were joined in those sanctions by Europeans and, and other governments. So that was a coordinated step. All of which means, to get back to your original point about your Ukrainian friends being worried, it means that the Biden administration is not asleep about Putin and about Putin's threat to Ukraine. And it means that the potential for additional sanctions, more sanctions and heavier sanctions, should Putin attack or do something else. Putin may not attack, he may do something else against Ukraine, but there will be consequences. And earlier this week, I wrote about those possible consequences because I was just tired of hearing from some Americans that we've maxed out on our Russia sanctions and we can't do any more. Oh, that garbage, let's stop it. There's a lot more we could do, which is why my buddy um, Brian O'Toole and I wrote up a menu. The recently announced sanctions include new restrictions on Russian sovereign debt issuance, sanctions against six Russian tech companies tied to Russian intelligence, and 32 entities for interference in the 2020 U.S. election, and eight individuals and entities related to the Russian occupation of Crimea. But the point was, yeah, shut up with the no more room, no more headroom for sanctions escalation. You know, stop it. There's plenty. Ukraine will not stand alone. Ukraine will not stand alone. If the Russians attack, Ukrainians will fight. They'll make a fight of it. I'm not saying they'll win, but there'll be a real battle. And under those circumstances, the Europeans and Americans would not stand by. I'm not talking about military assistance in terms of US troops. I'm talking about assistance to help the Ukrainians defend themselves. But I'm not sure Putin wants that kind of a war because it's not popular in Russia. We know this. We know this because Putin doesn't make heroes out of the Russians fighting in Ukraine. He pretends they're not there at all, which means that the, the images, and there would be plenty, of Russians fighting Ukrainians would go back to Russia and a lot of Russians wouldn't like this, which is by the way, why I mentioned that Putin might do something else other than a full scale attack. He could decide after threatening and threatening and using the, the Kremlin propaganda machine to ramp up the hysteria to say, out of the goodness of my warm heart and out of love for all those oppressed Russians, 
you know, under the, under the heel of the Ukrainian fascists, so-called, such as the propaganda, I'm sending in Russian peacekeepers into the Donbass. He could do that. Or he could decide to recognize the independence of the breakaway republics, the way he so-called, the enclaves, the way he did uh, South Ossetia and Abkhazia after the Russo-Georgian War in 2008. So let's not simply assume that Putin is signaling his ultimate moves. Maskerovka, right? Well, no need to, for an American to tell Ukrainians about that. They know. They know. We need to be prepared to respond and not be idiots and be fooled. Okay? One other point to make. Putin didn't attack Ukraine just to grab Crimea and the Donbass. He did it so that Ukraine would not become a successful free market democracy with respect for the rule of law, so that it would not, if you pardon the expression, Europeanize itself the way the Baltic states did after 91 or Poland did after 89. Because if Ukraine does this, and they've made progress, Ukraine's a democracy now, but they've, you know, not where it needs to be in terms of rule of law or the oligarchs, they're not there. But if they got there, that would be a, that would be great for Ukrainians and actually great for Russians too, because they would look and see, wait a minute, you know, people who speak Russian, Ukrainians mostly do, who are Pravoslavni, not all, but you know, a whole lot, they're making this work. They're making this democracy, this rule of law thing work, which means why can't we do it too? I remember one of Zelensky's best public statements said just about this. You know, if we can do it, then the Russians know they can do it too. The it being the transformation of the country. The two main issues of focus that many talk about when looking at Ukraine, especially with receiving further support from the West, are Russia's aggression and Ukraine's own reform, the internal and the external conflict. Exactly. Helping with this external conflict will give Ukraine some breathing space to make these steps that we're seeing Zelensky do with his sanctioning of oligarchs and shutting down of Russian TV channels. My intuition is that the reason we're seeing this new aggression in response to the further steps taken from both Ukraine and the West, such as Germany and the Biden administration, and now these sanctions. I was wondering, how effective do you think they can be? Well, first, ask yourself the question, what would Putin conclude if we did nothing? If we had done nothing in 2014, no sanctions, what would Putin have concluded? Why he would have concluded that he, back then, that he could proceed with his Novorossiya concept and grab not just the Donbass and Crimea, but 40% of Ukraine or more. We pushed back. Now, the Ukrainian people pushed back. They resisted and we helped. And Putin pulled back from his most extravagant and most aggressive claims. But he didn't pull back all the way. He's kept Crimea, he's kept the Donbass, partly because we in the West did not push hard enough, I think, and partly because Putin looked at Ukraine and said, well, maybe they'll collapse, maybe they'll fall apart. I mean, the Orange Revolution started well and didn't end so well. Maybe this Ukrainian attempt at transformation will end like all the others, badly. 
So why should I give up? I could still win, which is my way of saying what you already said, because I agree with you. The issue is whether Ukraine can take the time that it has earned by the sacrifice of its soldiers and Ukrainian patriots and use that time to make itself a better country internally. You said this, the internal struggle as well as the external struggle. In the end, the internal struggle is at least as important. The external struggle is necessary because if the Russians control, you know, game over. But it doesn't do any good to have the Russians simply exerting their control indirectly through corrupt leaders. Sovereignty comes from well-functioning institutions. That's not just like a civics class or political science principles. That's reality. So these sanctions, would you say they're enough to stop Kremlin aggression? And if not, what more can be done? Well, look, the Kremlin needs to know that we have sanctions escalatory options that are strong enough to hurt and not so strong that we'd never actually use them. They have to be serious and they have to know we're serious, which is why I wrote that paper. And I suspect that the Biden people are talking to the, the Europeans about what we would do. Because you don't want to have, you don't want to have the Russian tanks roll and then be figures scratching your head, well, what do we do now? You have to be ready. You have to be ready. And I think the Biden people are getting ready. Is that enough to stop Putin? If I said that, I'd be arrogant. But it's the sense of resistance. Maybe he will factor it into his calculations. He's KGB trained. They're not stupid. No, that training is calculate the resistance. Like it's what Lenin said, thrust in the bayonet. If you encounter fat, keep pushing. If you encounter steel, retreat. He will calculate the resistance, both actual and potential. He's not irrational. He's a smart guy. He needs to know that the Ukrainians will fight and that the West will resist. Thanks for speaking with us. My pleasure. That was this week's episode of the Kyiv Post podcast. I'm your host, Alina Kent. You can subscribe to our podcast on all streaming platforms and follow along on the Kyiv Post website. As always, stay safe, stay home, and subscribe to the Kyiv Post.